I'm really going to be interested to, to hear how people who are from resettled communities, how they feel and how Newfoundlanders in general feel. I mean, Newfoundland's story and the story of Outport Newfoundland, I've trafficked in that material many times, so it's kind of well-trodden ground for me. But for a lot of people, I don't think it is. You know, if this gives Newfoundlanders a new appreciation or it starts a conversation, then that's great. Hello and welcome to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. In this episode, we will explore a film that is a haunting love letter to a dying way of life. Sweetland is the story of an endangered Newfoundland community and the struggles of one man who is determined to resist its extinction. Faced with financial and community pressure, he's determined to live out the rest of his life in his home. I was joined by writer and director Christian Sparks. I feel like you have a personal connection to this story. Is that is that a, a correct or incorrect assumption? Uh, yeah, that is absolutely correct. I mean, I am uh, I'm born and raised in Newfoundland, where this film Sweetland takes place. So I, I grew up in the in the capital St. John's. So it's a, a larger city than the the small town depicted in the film. But uh, towns like that are only a half hour drive away. So I know that place and and, and those characters very well. It feels like you're capturing a moment in history. Tell, tell me a little bit about the huge kind of social changes that are happening uh, in your movie. Well, it takes place. It's a modern day Newfoundland set story in, in an outport town, so a small community. And uh, like many outport communities in Newfoundland, the government is paying everyone in, in the town to leave to what they call resettlement. So they usually pay each household about 100 grand. And that's to, to, to leave the town because it becomes too expensive for the government to bring uh, goods and services and, and power and transportation to these re- remote locations. And for years, these towns popped up and thrived all over Newfoundland because each one had a fishery. And that's how people made their money and how they made their living. But, you know, in the, in the 90s, there was a cod moratorium, which is a, a big part of Newfoundland's history and, and Canadian history that people might not know about. But uh, all the fish were basically fished from the ocean in Newfoundland, and a ban was put on fishing. So suddenly you had this 500-year-old tradition that allowed uh, these small communities to thrive. Uh, Suddenly people couldn't do that work anymore, and those communities were abandoned, and the government started paying people to leave and move to larger urban centers like St. John's. And so that's where our story takes place in one of these towns that is on the cusp of everyone moving away. And there's one man, a man named Moses Sweetland, who doesn't want to go. And, it, and it's all about the trials and tribulations of that decision. There, there was something about vistas in in this movie that you really kind of gave, it was such a beautiful sense of place and you used the breathtaking kind of landscape so well. Um, and from the first few scenes, I was rooting for Moses because I was like, yeah, this place is spectacular. Yes. How much energy went into kind of making that landscape so dominant in, in the movie? Yeah, it has kind of a pastoral quality to it. When you think of Newfoundland, or when I think of Newfoundland, the rugged landscape and where the kind of rock meets the ocean is the first thing that kind of comes to mind. You know, even if you live in the city, you know, you only need to drive about 10, 15 minutes in every direction and you're, you're at the foot of the Atlantic Ocean. So, you know, this was a small little town, the setting of this film that, that takes place in, in a little community near the ocean. So it was very important for me to capture that the, the feel of the environment, because it's such a big part of how these people uh, lived and maintained a living over so many years, whether it was kind of like 
hunting moose or rabbits or out in the boats fishing. You know, you basically you lived off the land, as they say, and and had for many generations. So it was you can't tell the story of kind of modern day outport Newfoundland without um, having the landscape be a huge character. I didn't know about this story, and it's kind of mind-blowing that this is happening to, to these communities. The research that must have gone into understanding that experience, because uh, a lot of the people who are being moved out are older. You know, there are, there's, there's not many children left in, that, in those areas at all, um, as, apart from one of the, the kind of main characters that you had. How far did you go into kind of researching and immersing yourself in these communities to, to write this? Well, it's based off a novel uh, by Michael Crummy, who's a really accomplished Newfoundland novelist. You know, I would say the best we have in a lot of ways. And so Michael did all the hard work. I just kind of came in and was able <laughs> to adapt the work. But I, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work for Newfoundland tours and doing their commercials and stuff over the years. And they've shot up and down Newfoundland countless times. So I've been in and out of these communities over and over again, know the people, know the places, so... You know, the combination of my experience having traveled up and down the province and Michael, who, uh, you know, the author of the novel, who uh, who does an, a tremendous amount of research. He goes to the, the archives at, at the, uh, you know, at the, at the museum here in town, at the rooms and uh, digs deep into stories from the past and is in, ensures he gets all the details correct. So. And you can thank Michael for a lot of that historical accuracy. And, you know, then it just comes down to the production designer and the costuming, making sure all your references are shared and thorough and that everyone is on the same page. I kind of felt like the um, the location um, work with the sets, but also the the kind of exterior shoots that you did, it felt so authentic. So so what was your kind of process with narrowing in on the lives and the kind of uh, the homes and, and the spaces that people were in? Yeah, it's like what often happens when I make, I, this is my third film shooting, third feature shooting in, in Newfoundland and more or less outport rural Newfoundland. And so it's the same with every process. We'll get the script. We'll do a location breakdown, um, figure out, you know, who the characters are, where they live. And then myself and my producing partner, Allison White, uh, who's a great friend of mine, we will literally hop in a car and drive around for weeks when we have the time, when we're not working and scout and re-scout the same locations over and over again and we have our kind of favorites in mind you know and sometimes it's really dictated by budget like there's beautiful towns on the west coast of newfoundland and in some remote places but that's not always feasible to get to because by the time you know some of them you can only get to by boat uh so it just becomes impractical so it's a combination of of having scouted in advance and, and locations you know and love and, and just matching the feasibility of kind of traveling a cast and crew there and shooting for multiple days. Now, one of the things I just learned from you before we recorded was about your casting. Now, Moses Sweetland, the lead character, is played by uh, a Welsh actor, Mark Lewis-Jones. And I assumed that he was from Newfoundland because his accent was great to me, but I'm not from Newfoundland. So, but yes. but it, I thought it was an incredible performance. So how, how did you end up with uh, casting someone to kind of come in and, and uh, learn that accent? What was your kind of decision-making process for that? I was just going to say quickly, though, but you are Welsh. So the fact that you didn't spot it is a, it's a good, it's a testament to Mark's skill. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, He's incredible. <laughs> I knew I would need, uh, you know, I, I knew I would need a really talented performer to play Moses. He's in literally every scene of the movie. The movie's about him. It's a portrait. It's a character study. Um, and so I wanted a kind of a world-class actor. 
you know, you do the usual thing. You, you go through the casting project, uh, process of working with casting agents and, and a combination of that and, and looking up films yourself. And you have your handful of favorite actors. And Mark was always a performer who I had known and loved and had watched him recently in uh, The Crown. Uh, there's an episode that takes place in Wales that he's uh, quite uh, quite good in. And uh, I'd seen him in Game of Thrones. And he's a kind of actor who you recognize and love but don't necessarily know their name. You know, just a, a great working character actor. And so we reached out to his people, sent him the script. And luckily he responded very quickly and very passionately about it and seemed very interested because it's a great role for him to play a lead like this. And so we got on a call like a couple of days after he had read it. We hit it off very well. And the the conversation came up quite quickly about the dialect and, and whether we were going to try and get him to speak with a Newfoundland accent or not. And he seemed game for it. This was about four months out from shooting. And so the fact that he was game, uh, we hired a dialect coach and away he went. And, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of talented performers, but Mark really just blew my mind. I, uh, many Newfoundlanders have seen the film already and, you know, they uh, they didn't know the difference. They thought he was from Newfoundland. So that's that's an amazing testament to him and his skill. That's incredible. Yeah. And I think as well, like the there's not too much of a difference it's not it kind of is very steeped in that kind of uh, celtic pronunciation and uh, so i imagine it was uh, you know from his welsh background as well um there must have been uh, a lot of similarities to draw upon too yeah i wonder it's uh it's hard to, i'm not a performer so it all seems very difficult to me i would be extremely intimidated me too um, <laughs> yeah because even though i i'm I, i'm sure you're right i'm sure there are a lot of similarities but Newfoundland is a tricky, it's a tricky accent to pull off because a lot of people, it ends up often sounding like a bastardized kind of Irish, which I guess technically it is. Uh, but it has its own lilt and its own, you know, very specific turns of phrase. And I've heard it done poorly many, many times. And I don't think the average person outside of Newfoundland would know. But if you're a Newfoundlander, and you know the story of Sweetland. It's you know it's something you probably hold dear, and mm. you want to ensure that someone gets it right because so many of the other characters are Newfoundlanders, mm. and you want it to all kind of land in the same register. And so he was able to pull that off. So again, Mark is uh, you're very blessed to have had Mark and to gotten to know him and, and to call him a friend. That's amazing. And one of the things that really stood out to me about the film was the. The, the very subtle use of music, but also how you used a lot of uh, natural sound effects uh, from the environment. You know, there were a lot of crashing waves, there were the breeze in the grass. I really kind of enjoyed your sound design. Was that always a plan from the start or was that something that developed as you were going? No, it was very much a plan from the start. And a quick shout out to the sound team at Formosa in Toronto, who did an, an amazing job. Uh, had a bunch of great people on the team. Dave Rose, in particular, um, was a sound designer we worked with. He's a great guy and did great work. Um, if anything, I had actually thought this sound might go a bit more abstract and a bit more impressionistic than it's ended up being in the film. In the film, it's like still very present and, and very rich uh, and evocative, but it's I would say it sits in a fairly naturalistic place. Um, again, like when you're in these outport towns, uh, and not to give away the film too much, but there's a, a section of the film where the power is cut and there's not much sound other than just the natural sounds of the landscape. 
and the wind and the, and the, you know, the kind of roar of the, of the waves in the distance. So it was uh, always a plan to make sure that that was kind of accented and rich. Um, we ended up, like I said, in kind of a naturalistic plate. I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. I'm, I'm still so close to it. It's hard for me to, uh, to <laughs> discern, you know? I thought the, the music choices as well, you know, you didn't, use the music to tell people how to feel it was one of the tools you were using but it didn't kind of dominate those scenes i thought it was put together beautifully oh good i'm glad you uh you appreciated that yeah that was very much i mean you know it's about a it's very much about um a time that is quickly fading away uh, you know a, a type of life and a type of living that is slow and quiet and 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 methodical and there's a certain connection to the landscape and to the rhythms of, of the earth out that way and so it was very important that the music and sound design complemented that and didn't work uh against it you know so that was a very kind of conscious choice on, on my part and I, I also kind of wanted something too that felt i guess this maybe gives it a little bit of tension is that it's it's some of the music is a little maybe unexpected you would almost think about like fiddles and accordions like newfoundland is often painted a very particular way with traditional instruments and instrumentation uh but we didn't kind of give in to that we wanted to provide a kind of a counterpoint dramatically that would make the film feel uh fresh and dynamic and have its own unique voice and, and so i'm glad it resonated with you yeah and another aspect as well there were moments where you had very muted colors but also there were there were other moments especially inside at night or some some moments in the landscape where you had very nice warm tones as well um mm -hmm. how did you how did you go about choosing the palette the same way i kind of always do and a lot of that is just referencing other films paintings photography artwork you know always work very closely with the production designer, Anne Christensen, who did a great job, and her husband, John, um, to kind of create a world. And we set a, a, a palette, we put it up against the wall, and we know that everything needs to fall within this range of colors. So when we're painting the interiors or we're giving the characters their, their shirts and their pants and their shoes, everything falls within a range and is very deliberate. Nothing is kind of left up to chance, as much as is possible in an independent film anyway. Um, so that's a very conscious choice, and that's actually one of my favorite parts. I um, I went to art school and always loved graphic design, so doing what they call a lookbook or a Bible for a film and creating the visual tone, the look and feel is something I really get off on. So I put a lot of work into that in advance and make sure that you know I see that through with my other collaborators when the film is made. Because sometimes you see people make these things and then it all falls by the wayside. It's almost just like I use as a sales tool, and then it just like it shifts once production starts. But no, we we definitely said to uh, to stick to that, and we did. No, oh, no, you definitely nailed that kind of tone, and like you're really devoted to that vision, without a doubt. Yeah, thank you. Tell me a little bit about the 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 wider cast. Obviously, uh, casting Jesse, uh, the, the young boy, and and other characters too. How did you kind of build this community? It's a combination of kind of a lot of my uh, favorite local actors. The thing about Sweetland, it, it's, a, it's a very important book to a lot of people in Newfoundland. It kind of is the quintessential modern day Newfoundland story. So I kind of wanted to have some quintessential modern day Newfoundland actors as well. It seemed very fitting. So, you know, Mary Walsh is in there, who a lot of people will know from 22 Minutes and Codco. And, you know, she's quite well known. Uh, 
nationally and certainly in Newfoundland. Um, you know, she's part of a legendary comedy troupe called Codco, uh, who uh, there was another member, Andy Jones, who's a really great performer uh, and beloved here in St. John's. And he was he plays Duke, the friend who owns the barbershop uh, in, in the film. Clara is played by an actress named um, Sarah Canning, who's Newfoundland born, has gone off to kind of uh, be on the West Coast in Hollywood. She's been in a bunch of big productions, but definitely holds uh, Newfoundland near and dear to her heart. We had bumped into one another at a film festival a couple of years ago, and she ta- and driving in a in a van to an airport late at night, the topic of, of Sweetland came up, and she talked about how much she loved the novel. And I said, I'm actually making a film about this, funny enough, this exact novel. And she said, I would love to be in it. And uh, lo and behold, it came to be. Uh, so that was that was a great little story. And then Jesse was a particular challenge. He's the young boy, Sweetland's autistic nephew. Uh, you know, it was important for us to at least audition a bunch of autistic children and try and be as true and authentic to that role as we could. We looked in Newfoundland, worked with the Autism Society here, and then we looked nationally as well. Actually found a boy from across the country in, in British Columbia who had never acted before, who, who we managed to get a tape from, and he blew us all away. And we suddenly we put him in acting classes and then put him on a plane with his parents and he came over to Newfoundland for the summer and had like a whirlwind adventure as his first kind of acting role. So it was quite an experience for him and, and, and he does a beautiful job in the film. He has a very fragile quality about him. No, definitely. And um, he's very distinctive looking. He reminds me a lot of my youngest son who's kind of got similar white blonde hair. And yeah. kind of, he, he really stands out in, in the movie for, for certain. Yeah, it was a real pleasure uh, working with him and just witnessing a boy that young take on a role and, and knock it out of the park. We all really enjoyed that. And then coming back to the storyline, it's really interesting the um, the dynamic. Uh, you know, Moses is is a holdout, and you know the, di- the 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 community has to vote in like large numbers in in order to kind of get that resettlement um and he's kind of holding out and starts to see his you know without giving too much away he starts to see a lot of conflict within the community mm-hmm. when you were kind of trying to build that conflict and and um when you were kind of pulling from the book as well how did you kind of get in that mindset of um you know very tight-knit community that that is now becoming unraveled to be honest, that was kind of one of the challenges of the film, actually, is how to show the perspective of the town when it is actually kind of more of a first-person narrative. Mm-hmm. We are always with Moses and, you know, with his mindset right alongside him on his journey. The challenge with any novel is trying to condense it to a shootable length for the budget you have. So, you know, one of the things that fell by the wayside a little bit was the um, the tension that he felt with the townsfolk and that push and pull for me as a filmmaker, trying to make sure I didn't have too much of it, but I had enough so that we could feel it and understand what he's going through. Um, so it's only seen in brief snippets. Hopefully those snippets are impactful and, and tell the story in an adequate way. I, I think they do. I hope they do. It was great. I, I kind of felt like getting to know those characters around around the really small community and then, you know, slowly seeing perspectives change and attitudes change as, as time went on. I felt it was really effective. And and also Moses's character development and the kind of the plot twists that I did not expect or see coming in any way, but kind yeah. of kept, kept me gripped in, uh, you know, as, as time went on. The place was so convincing, um, and and I was kind of definitely felt like there was a, a 
you could feel the energy of that town you could feel the the conflict especially in moses but also in his friends as well who were making very difficult decisions well that's the uh that's the interesting thing at the core of, of this novel and the core of like rural life is that when conflict happens is with your friends and neighbors and people you've known your entire life it's not like a big city you know you know these people kind of intimately and Resettlement only works if everyone in the town agrees. That's the thing. Like the government can pay, offers each family up to 100 or 200 grand, depending on the community, uh, to evacuate. But no one gets any money unless everyone in town agrees. So you can imagine when, you know, you have kind of like, in this case, there's his young nephew, Jesse, who's autistic and could really use uh, to move into the city and receive some help from doctors and, and some like modern professional um, uh, help. The fact that uh, Moses is keeping the boy from this, you know, that becomes a, a real point of contention. You know, Moses thinks he's obviously being outdoors and hunting and fishing is what's best for the boy. I mean, he's a 75 year old man. You know, there's a lot he doesn't know. So uh, it's not hard to imagine tensions really riling up between these people when, you know, they stand to lose a lot. I touched on it a moment ago with the twists, like especially in the last third of the movie, it kind of keeps taking you places you didn't expect. And um, I loved the, um, the the resolution as well, the the end shot, which I'm not going to give too much away again, but just that end shot was so powerful and kind of, uh, for me, really framed the legacy of those places and those communities. Um, was that a, a visual you had in your head or was that um, kind of... Uh, something that you kind of came up with towards the end it was just very it was it was just a very powerful end frame yes that's i'm um i love hearing you say that i I feel the same way and i felt that way when i read the novel so the novel is more or less the same you know some of the details change but at its core that's that's the image that the novel ends with as well and to be honest, there was times when I read the novel and I love Michael's work, but I wasn't sure if it was the best fit for a cinematic adaptation. Just because something works at prose doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work as an hour and a half, two hour film. Um, but by the time I came to the novel and that last image uh, unfolds the way it does, there's something so rich and symbolic about it. And it speaks to a whole history of a people. Uh, and and all the sacrifice that's been made and the legacy that is that that lasts that I just felt like compelled as a Newfoundlander to put it on screen and uh, and and yeah and so that was actually a huge driving force the ending um, I was always felt like I was working towards that that was the kind of guiding light that kept me going it worked it's not the end that I expected from the movie when I, you know, when I was kind of 15, 20 minutes in from the start, it was yes. great. You took people on that kind of, uh, in that direction and on a really uh, gripping story. Oh, good. I'm, uh, I'm glad. Yeah. It's always a fine line. Hey, when you, um, cause we were going for a naturalistic and for lack of a better word, kind of European approach in a lot of ways, you know, more, uh, slow meditative, allowing scenes to play out in kind of real time as opposed to like trying to like guide the audience's emotion uh the entire time the way a lot of commercial films do uh and so that's always i don't necessarily want to say a a a risk but it's uh you have to be aware if you make a film that way there's only going to be a particular audience for it and that's just what it is and you really have to kind of stick to your guns but uh 
luckily I, I love those films and I felt I picked the cinematographer and other collaborators who love them as well. So we were all on the same page about that. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got to ask, what did, what did Michael think about your adaptation of his novel? Uh, I think he was quite pleased. I, I, to be, I didn't even show Michael like we, I had been in contact. He knew I wanted to adapt it because we optioned the book from the publisher and I went away and wrote a draft on my own without advising with Michael or showing him anything. And it wasn't until I had it in a good place that I reached out and sent it to him because it was important. I had to, I had to take ownership. If you're going to make a film, you want to pay respect to uh, uh, the author who's done such a beautiful job. But you also have to make it your own uh, if, if you're going to put your name on it. You know, and, and you know, uh, novels and, and films are very different things. Uh, luckily, Michael seemed very pleased. I think kind of surprised in a way, maybe glad that I didn't totally screw it up on him. I think he felt like it, even though a bunch had to be kind of stripped away, I think the integrity and the core of the book may, uh, was still maintained. And I think he was quite pleased with that and very graciously came on and helped me polish it even further uncredited and, and became a, you know a good friend in the process. So it was yeah, it was a it was a real dream collaboration. I got to say, wow, that must be incredibly rewarding then, <laughs> to kind oh. of you know, from that source material to have to have the hit, you know him share in the experience. It is well, he's so he's so talented, and um, you know, it's just like, you know, that's a funny thing about film. It's like the actors and the director tend to get all the credit or a lot of it, but I mean, anyone inside of it knows the writers are the true talented ones. And, uh, and so to be able to kind of collaborate with someone of Michael's caliber was, uh, was yeah, a real thrill for me. I, I considered myself lucky. I, I felt like I walked away with a real insight into those communities and what they're going through. And have, have you had any feedback from anyone who has resettled or are you kind of, is that something you're anticipating that you'd like to, to hear in terms of the authenticity that you've, you've, um, you've played that part in helping tell the world this story? Yeah, I, I'm really anticipating it, actually. I think I'm, I'm really going to be interested to to hear how people who are from resettled communities, how they feel, and how Newfoundlanders in general feel. I mean, no one has seen it yet, other than um, a handful of friends and family members. Um, but even, and many of which grew up in the more kind of urban in St. John's, and certainly from those people, I've had multiple times now, family members have said, it really made them appreciate Newfoundland and what some of these people who live in these areas of rural areas have gone through in a way that they didn't fully appreciate before. Um, for me, again, I've done so much work with tourism over the years. And like, so Newfoundland story and the story of Outport Newfoundland, I've trafficked in that material many times. So it's kind of uh, well-trodden ground for me, but for a lot of people, I don't think it is because we, you know, when you live in an urban city, you get on with your life. You're vaguely aware of what's happening outside of your borders. But, uh, you know, surprisingly, a lot, a lot of people are just, you know, staring down at their feet and the way life is busy. Right. So, you know, if this gives Newfoundlanders a new appreciation um, or it starts a conversation, then that's great. Amazing. And my last question would be, you know, what what were you hoping that people outside of Newfoundland would take from this movie? You know, there, there's displaced people all around the world. Like, I, so I hope this story resonates. I don't think you have to be from Newfoundland for this story to resonate. Uh, Lord knows, you know, people are, are displaced um, and are currently being displaced around the globe as we speak. So 
you know, for those people, hopefully this story resonates and there's a, a, um, a beauty to it. You know, it's certainly a very melancholy story. It's not the most uplifting uh, story ever. Uh, but uh, hopefully there's a, a, a beauty there and a, and, a, and a sublimeness that people can really, I don't know, I find it sometimes in, in, empowering. I find, you know, there's there's an empowering nature in the ending of, of, of this film, that image we've been talking about, how it ends. There's something that makes me kind of aware of where I'm from and and where I'm going. And so hopefully it resonates with other people in the same way. As someone who's never been to Newfoundland and someone who wishes, who, you know, wishes he, he gets an opportunity to go there soon, <laughs> I left with an impression of like, uh, I felt like I, I knew much more about those kind of rural communities and the the social dynamic, but also the beauty um, and the, the tight knit kind of communities that have existed. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's a great kind of love letter that you can share with the world. Oh, excellent. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. And hopefully it resonates with other people in the same way. Great. Thank you so much for, for your time, Christian. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. Don't forget that this guest and many more will be showcasing the best of international cinema across Halifax from September 14th to the 21st. You can find out more about the events and book tickets by visiting atlanticfilmfestival.ca. I've been Reese Waters. Now go watch a movie.